Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon podcast from the First United Methodist Church of Parable. All right, today uh, the focus of the sermon is John 14, 23 through 29, uh, love, spirit, and peace. But we're also going to look at Psalm uh, 67 as well. Both of these texts are printed there in your bulletin. I'm going to begin with the Old Testament Psalm. And I like, if you don't mind, joining me in the reading. Uh, We'll read responsively, and so I'll read the regular font. If you'll respond with the bright yellow bold, or in your bulletin, it's bold as well. And so if you'll join with me as we read together and pray together Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known upon earth, that your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, has blessed us. May God continue to bless us and let all the ends of the earth revere him. Amen. And we'll continue with the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 23 through 29. Hear these words of Scripture. Jesus answered them, Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and he will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but it is from the Father who sent me. I've said these things to you while I'm still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away, I'm coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I'm going to the Father, because the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it occurs, so that when it does occur, you may believe. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, we pray today with with a spirit of thanksgiving in our hearts as we give thanks for one another as we give thanks for this time and this place, as we give thanks for a moment to rest in your goodness and grace and mercy, despite the challenges of the past week and the concerns of the week to come, that we have come to this moment, to this hour, to be made known to you, to experience your love, your forgiveness, and your care. And so, God, we pray as we worship today, as we sing, as we fellowship, as we hear from the words of Scripture, that our hearts would be lifted up and knit together according to your will. These things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, very good. This morning, I want to start with this little uh, joke that I heard, a little funny thing I heard that says this. It says, the Midwestern goodbye, the Midwestern goodbye contains nine stages, nine stages, all right? I want you to kind of think with me through these because you've been in this moment yourself before. Maybe you were the host and you were waiting on people to leave, or maybe you were the one that was trying to leave. But the Midwestern goodbye begins with this. Well, we got to get going, all right? Are you familiar with that phrase? Well, time to go, 
All right, that's what someone says, at least in some homes, when it's time to start the process of leaving, right? Start the process. And I say the process because depending on the home and depending on how big the group is, it can take a while to leave, right? So if you have a large family gathering, maybe Thanksgiving or Christmas or a birthday party, then you get to the hugs, right? Everyone's got to hug everyone, grandma, grandpa, cousins, niece, make sure everyone gets the appropriate hug, and then you start making your way toward the door, But as you get to the door, more conversation begins, the doorway chat, right? And these are things like, oh, we hate to see you go. Did you get everything? Do you have your jackets? Do you have your gifts? Could I send a little bit more of this leftover dressing and turkey with you, right? You know that conversation. And then the people say, no, we really got to get going. Okay, if you're really going, let's hug one more time, right? And so you go around the room, and you make sure everyone appropriately uh, feels uh, loved and supported, And then someone finally reaches for the doorknob and breaks that seal, right, that this may actually happen. We're going out the door. There's the conversation on the way to the car. Car doors are slowly closing. And then my favorite is the window wave, right? And this is where the host, maybe the grandparents, they stay on the porch or the driveway, and they wave the whole way as the cars go down the street and make the turn. Are you familiar with this process at all? Yeah. We in Arkansas, we're not exactly Midwesterners, uh, but when I heard this little bit, I thought, boy, that really relates to, to some of us, at least some of my family gatherings. They seem to, to go on and on, particularly uh, Jill's grandmother. We went there for many holidays, and I remember the goodbye process lasting a long time. Oh, so many hugs and gifts, and did you get this, and did you get that? It's like we were never going to leave, right? Of course, some people take the opposite approach. Uh, You may have been at gatherings where people just sort of get their things and get out of there, right? They don't linger too long. One of the joys of the campaign meetings we were doing, we had about eight or ten meetings at people's homes, and so uh, one of the, the kind of joys of that was we would have a little time of fellowship, then we would have a little time of business where, where I would talk about the campaign, why it's important, and then we would get into that awkward moment, right? We had been there about an hour, and it was like, how long are we going to stay? How long is this going to last? Should we leave? Some would leave quickly, some would hang around for a while, trying to take those uh, nonverbal cues from the host. I'll tell you that this is a, a thing that Chase and I sort of find ourselves uh, in this position often. We go to visit someone, maybe we go to the hospital or something, and I don't know if you feel this way, but I'm often like, have I been here long enough? Am I supposed to go? Are they tired of me being here? Is this awkward? You know, so we kind of go through that, that process. I'll offer you that image this morning today because we're reading from John uh, 14. And John 14, if you can remember anything about the middle of the book of John, uh, you should remember that it has a a long uh, section from John 13, 14, 15, even into 16. It has this very lengthy section uh, that we call the farewell discourse. The farewell discourse. And so it's appropriate to kind of frame it and jokingly uh, in light of that long Midwestern goodbye. This teaching that we have in John's gospel, it's not found in the other gospels in the same way. Right? John really gives a lot of attention to Jesus' final meal and his final instructions with his disciples. And so hence the name Farewell Discourse because this is the moment of, of Maundy Thursday. This is the moment where he gathers in the upper room. He celebrates communion and then he begins to teach. And it's the Farewell Discourse because we know and Jesus knows Uh, That what happens next, of course, is that they will go to the garden. From the garden, Jesus will be betrayed by Judas, will be arrested, will be eventually put on trial, a sort of unfair trial, will eventually be crucified, right? 
So Jesus knows all of that is coming, and so he spends this lengthy time with his disciples teaching them some final instructions, hence the farewell discourse. And so sometimes we read John 13, 14, 15 with kind of a somber overturn, overtone because we know what is coming next, right? Jesus is preparing for his arrest and for his crucifixion. He's, he's saying goodbye. Today, we're not necessarily thinking in those terms. We're not thinking about Holy Week. We're still thinking about Easter and the joy that is Easter. But we return to these kind of final instructions in this season of Easter uh, to remember what is it that Jesus most wants us to know. And it's pretty clear that those lessons that went for those early disciples, those early believers, uh, that they translate uh, very well to us too. So we can kind of imagine ourselves there with Jesus, there with those early disciples, receiving Jesus' final teaching. That it wasn't just for those who heard it then, that it's really for all of us, right? As Chase was saying, what are some of the last and most important things you would tell someone before you leave? And so that's what we're reading today. I want to look at it. I think the text kind of unfolds in three little sections, and so I kind of want to do a a three-point thing with you. And so if you'll follow along with me from the first couple of verses, verses 23 and verses 24. As Jesus is talking to the disciples, he tells them, Those who love me keep my word. My Father will love them. He will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. So, as Jesus is teaching, one of the last things he says, I mean, and it really couldn't be much more clear, right? You don't, even need a, uh, you don't even need a preacher to explain it, right? He says, those who love me will do what I've told. Right? Those who love me will continue to live as I have taught them, right? Pretty clear. And you might be thinking, well, what exactly is it, Jesus? What have you been teaching us? Well, presumably, the thing that Jesus is referring to is what he has been teaching them here in the upper room. Specifically, I think, is this, this teaching in John 13, right? I'm with you a little longer. I give you a new commandment that you love one another. As I have loved you, you should love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples when you love one another. And then Jesus says, when I leave, I want you to do what I told you. Love one another. Love one another. And so the overarching theme for Jesus, for his disciples, in his pending absence, right, when he leaves them, their main task, their main goal, their main objective is to love one another. Love one another. He says, if you love me, then you will do as I've told, and the thing that he's told them to do is to love one another. As I was thinking about this moment, I was thinking about, as Chase said, when, when your parents leave you, particularly when I was young, my brother and I are about two and a half years apart. We were known to, to scuffle a little bit, wrestle, roundhouse, as it were. And I can remember my parents specifically when they would leave us at grandma's and grandpa's or aunt's or uncle's or with friends. It, it wasn't love one another. That's a little more poetic. It was this, you better not fight while you're at grandma's and grandpa's house, right? Better not fight doesn't sound quite as good as love one another, but you get the idea, right? That in the absence of our parents, in the absence of Jesus, Jesus' hope is that his disciples, those who have followed him and known him, would continue to love one another just as he has taught them. So step one, when Jesus leaves, love one another. The next thing that Jesus says is this sort of odd phrase. He says, though I'm leaving you, Uh, It's okay because the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom my Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. The Advocate will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Now, this is 
probably why we're reading this text today, right? Because we're preparing for the Holy Spirit to come again on Pentecost Sunday, on June 5th, on Confirmation Sunday, when we will pray over those young believers and and ask God to bless them and guide them and be near to them. And so Jesus makes a similar promise, right, to those earliest believers. Though he is leaving, the Holy Spirit is coming to them. Now, we have the advantage of knowing the rest of the story. We know Acts. We know Pentecost. We know the future of the church. But you can imagine to those earliest disciples the anxiety that they must have felt thinking that Jesus is leaving. And so there's some good news here, right? Some real hope, right? Though I am leaving you, the Holy Spirit, the Advocate, will come to you. The Advocate. Now, this is kind of unique to John's gospel. He doesn't say the Holy Spirit, right, as we think of in other places. He uses this particular word, advocate, which is the way our scripture translated it. Uh, the old uh, King James would have the word paraclete, paraclete, right, which is sort of an odd word, sort of a funny word. It means counselor or guide or teacher. And so when Jesus offers this image of the Holy Spirit in John 14, he's talking specifically about the work of the Holy Spirit to continue to teach, to continue to prompt, to continue to lead the lives of the disciples so that they might follow Jesus. I say this a lot in sermons because I think it's really important to understanding the context with which we read the New Testament. The early church, particularly those early believers, they wouldn't have had the resources that we have, particularly the Bible. I mean, most of you have Bibles, if not multiple versions of Bibles. You could go to the Bible on the Internet. I mean, the Bible is so accessible to us. And so when someone wonders, what did Jesus teach? What did Jesus think? What did Jesus say? It's really not hard to find. We just look it up in the Bible. We can even have the help of of other resources when needed. But that wouldn't have been the case in the early church. There's no Bible, there's no scripture, there's just Jesus. And so if Jesus is going away, you can imagine they're wondering, well, like, how will we know what to do? How will we know how to live? How will we know what's coming next? And so this is Jesus' word of promise, right? Though I'm leaving you, the advocate will be near to you. And the advocate will comfort you and guide you and teach you and prompt you. The way in which the disciples will know what to do is through the power and work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we are in the throes of, of spring school activities in my house, and I know you are in your homes as well because I see all of the activity online, the Facebook and Instagram pictures. Uh, we've been playing t-ball and softball most nights, and t-ball and softball is so much fun. I'm kind of partial to baseball, but when you go there, you get to see parents lose their mind. Are you familiar with this? Yeah. They all become experts in athletics. It's a wonderful thing, right? Keep your elbow up. Don't swing too early. Don't swing too late. Run hard, as, as if though kids don't know these things, right? But I'm guilty too, right? We yell and encourage. We want them to do well. We want them to succeed. We've had other activities. We've got a dance recital coming this week, and, of course, dancing is not something I know much about, so I don't speak out as much there. Um, but the coaches and the teachers who lead them in dance, they do a wonderful job. And as the children come forward, those teachers, they hide over here in the shadows, and they offer those instructions from a distance. Move left, move right, smile, spin, right? So they're guiding them as the dance is going on. We've had uh, kindergarten graduations and activities. You've been to these sorts of things before. Uh, Precious little children coming forward to speak and sing and, and lead us and show us what they've learned. But over there in the wings, just out of sight, are those teachers who are telling them, one, two, three, four, stand up, smile, now's the time to say your part. 
We've had high school graduations this week here in our community, uh, including a number of our seniors here at the church. And, and we all see those 18, 17-year-olds walking across the stage, but we know that they're not walking across alone that they're walking across with dozens of people uh, proverbially holding their hands, parents and grandparents and teachers and coaches and administrators. I think this is a pretty helpful image for thinking about what Jesus has in mind when he uses this word advocate, right? Advocate. He says the way that you will know how to live, the way that you will know what to say and what to do is because you're going to have a, a constant coach nearby you. You're going to have a teacher guiding you, inspiring you, teaching you, reminding you. Just like the wonderful teachers, coaches, parents we have in our lives that are always just near to their children, telling them what to do next. So it is with the Holy Spirit. And so you're never alone trying to figure out how to live this Christian life. The Holy Spirit's always connected to you right at your side, telling you, leading you, prompting you, so you know what to do next. The next thing that Jesus says, not only the help of the Holy Spirit, but the next thing that Jesus says is he says that uh, when he comes, uh, when he leaves, and when the Holy Spirit comes, uh, that he, he offers to his disciples peace, peace. And so he tells them this sort of odd thing. He says, I'm leaving, and, and what we know by leaving means I'm going to be crucified, right? He's going to be put on the cross. Uh, but though I'm leaving, I leave you my peace. And he says, it's my peace that I give to you so that your hearts are not troubled, it's my peace I give to you. There's a little bit of irony in reading that section there because we know that the, the scene around Jesus is anything but peaceful. We know that Judas has already agreed to terms to give Jesus over. We know that those who will arrest him are preparing to do so in the garden. And so it's one thing for Jesus to, to kind of model this peace himself, but to tell his disciples, though I'm leaving you, you still have peace in your hearts. We know, of course, from the historical record that first century Rome, first century Jerusalem was not a place of peace. It was a place of violence and poverty and hunger and famine. It's not exactly an easy or good time to be alive. We could say the same about our own world. I sense if I did a quick poll in here this morning, if we just raised our hands, like how many of you are feeling super peaceful in your hearts today? Would we get many hands raised? Maybe a couple, but not too often. If you're like me, you're rarely at peace because you're so anxious about things that are going on around you, beyond you, even globally. We continue to hear news out of Ukraine, the scenes, the violence, uh, shooting in Buffalo, the awful activities there. <laughs> Baby formula shortage, something perhaps we couldn't have even imagined, but it's causing a real stress for people, including people in our community. And so... It seems to me that Jesus knows that the world is not peaceful. It's not peaceful in his time and day, and it's certainly not peaceful in our time and day. And yet he tells his disciples, I give you my peace. I give you my peace. And so the math to me on that sort of implies that, like, even though the world is broken and hurting and sometimes confusing and, and violent, even though lots of awful things may happen, Jesus says you can still have peace in your own hearts in your own souls, in your own spirit. And so it's a kind of peace that happens within us that's not dictated by the outside circumstances that surround us. Uh, this week I stumbled onto a podcast by the lady on the right there. Her name is um, Kate Bowler. Kate was a 
she was Dr. Bowler to me. She was a professor in seminary. She was a young professor, had just started teaching graduate level courses, uh, taught American Christianity, so the history of Christianity in America, very popular among us as students there at Duke Divinity School. Uh, she was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer while we were there, and that really just shook the Divinity School, a beloved young faculty member. Many of us knew her well, and the diagnosis was, was really awful. There wasn't a lot of hope or a lot of positive prospects for her. And so she's had a number of surgeries, a number of treatments. We've all kind of been following her story, uh, particularly as she's begun to write and to teach about it. And, and she's kind of moved from just doing history to kind of doing more pastoral theology and reflecting on her life and her faith and this thing that has happened to her. I think I'm trying to do the math. That would have been about 10 years ago. And so she's had a number of uh, treatments and surgeries and, and her health will never be completely uh, healed, but she's continuing to do well, and we're certainly thankful for that. Uh, during this process, she's written some books. She started a podcast called Everything Happens. Uh, I would encourage you to listen to it. It's just a, a wonderful resource reflecting on the life and faith and, and her own journey. Uh, but she gets to interview interesting people. And this week, she interviewed the guy on the left, who you may not recognize, but he's an important figure. His name is Justin Welby. He's the Archbishop of Canterbury, which is a killer title. I'd like to change my title to Archbishop of Greene County or something. What do you think, Chase? No, Chase says no. All right, Archbishop of Canterbury, that means that he oversees all of Anglicanism, right? So the Church of Angli England, the Episcopal Church, which really spans the globe. So he has a very important role. Uh, but his life is kind of interesting as well. He come from a broken home, and so he often reflects on that in his ministry journey. Uh, he and his wife lo lost a child when they were early in their marriage. And so he's just a very human person, very relatable, and he speaks a lot about the, the brokenness that he's seen. And so in this podcast, in this interview, they're just talking about that, the brokenness of the world, the, the terrible things they've experienced. He now carries this very serious and significant title, Archbishop, which leads him to, to places all over the world. They were talking specifically about violence in sub-Saharan Africa and how some people have the vision that if the Archbishop would just show up, then everything would be okay, right? Uh, that if the bishop were here, he could, he could make everyone behave. And so in that podcast, the Archbishop is sort of talking about that's really not true, right? Even though he appears to have a lot of power, uh, his influence and his control in the world is not near as, as strong as some would like. And so even though he's had this role, he's also had to learn a lot of humility, right? That having this role doesn't mean you get to change everything, doesn't mean you get to automatically make everything peaceful and wonderful and good. And say so they were talking about that. How do you have peace in your hearts even when, when times are really challenging? And this is just one of the things he said, very much in a, a conversational tone. Reflecting on his life and his career and his work, he said, and as long as we know that we've done what we can with the resources that God has given us, used in a sensible way, as the New Testament talks about, then I would say you turn to God and say, I've done what I can, and the rest are in your hands. And by that way, I really, deep within me, I'm sad that you didn't give me more resources to deal with all of this. I would have loved to have done more. And I appreciated his comment there because I think his, in a very big way, talking about global crises and war and famine, uh, but ours in maybe a smaller way, perhaps one of the keys to having peace in our hearts is this recognition that we don't have all power, we don't have all control. There are some tough things happening around us, and sometimes we can help with them, and sometimes we can't. And part of having peace is recognizing that, right? And telling God, look, I've done all I can. I've done all I'm able to. If you had given me more resources, God, I would have even done more. But God, I've done the best I can, and I give that over to you. 
And so I like this vision, this sort of teaching of the Holy Spirit, this guidance by the Holy Spirit that Archbishop Welby's offering, right? Part of the work of the Holy Spirit is, is reminding us that we're human and that we're not responsible for everything happening around us at all times. And so if we kind of boil down today's scripture, it kind of comes to us in these three, phase, three phrases. Love me and keep my word with the help of the Holy Spirit, and this will give you peace. Love me, love one another. These are the words you're supposed to keep. How will you know how to do this? Because the Holy Spirit will be near to you, teaching you and guiding you. And if you do that, if you love one another with the help of the Holy Spirit, then you can have peace. Peace doesn't mean that everything will be perfect all the time, but it does mean in your own spirit you can have some comfort, knowing that you've done your best, you've done as God has called you, and you can rest in God's goodness in that way. And so if the Midwestern goodbye has nine long steps, we might boil the Jesus goodbye down to these three teachings. Love me and keep my word, with the help of the Holy Spirit, and this will give you peace. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, we give thanks for the witness and testimony of Jesus. We can imagine ourselves there with those earliest disciples. In the same way that there were unknowns coming toward them, fear and anxiety, trepidation, we today stand facing many unknowns about our own lives, our professional lives, our families' lives. There is much ahead of us, God, much ahead of us that we cannot control. And so, God, as we look toward our own future, we ask that you would continue to give us the courage to follow as Jesus has taught us. Help us to love one another and love you. Continue to bring the Holy Spirit to us alongside us, teaching us and guiding us. And God, give us hearts of peace, even when the world whirls around in violent and terrible directions. May your peace mark our souls and our lives. These are our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about First United Methodist Church by going to our website at www.fumcparacle.org. May God bless you this week.